You're listening to Vascular Viewpoints on ReachMD, sponsored by Becton Dickinson, advancing the world of health. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Bernholtz. Surveillance programs for hospital-acquired conditions, or HAC scores for short, are complex scoring systems guiding hospital protocols with the intent to reduce complications in vascular access. But a fair amount of confusion persists on how HAC scores are constructed and which practices influence them the most, creating therapeutic disconnects between hospital administrations, departments such as ERs and ICUs, and individual clinicians. That's why today we'll fill in some of these knowledge gaps surrounding HAC scores and their implications on vascular access care. Welcome to Vascular Viewpoints on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. And joining me to help decode hack scores for clinicians is April Taylor, the Senior Director of Improvement and Project Management at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and Assistant Director of Performance Improvement at the Center for Healthcare Improvement and Patient Safety at the University of Pennsylvania's Perlman School of Medicine. Ms. Taylor, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. So just to start, we know hack scores are both complex, they're even a touchy subject to discuss given their wide-ranging impacts on hospital protocols and federal funding levels. But can you just give us a brief overview of HAC scoring's role in vascular access care? So as you mentioned, HAC stands for Hospital Acquired Conditions. And as part of the Affordable Care Act, there was a national effort to encourage the reduction of these conditions through this program, the Hospital Acquired Condition Reduction Program. This program is actually what's called a penalty program. So what that means is that this program requires that the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or also known as CMS, reduces hospital payments by 1% for hospitals that rank among the lowest performing 25% with regards to these hacks or hospital-acquired conditions. So it's played a really important role in hospitals and helping them to form local improvement teams, but also in really having hospitals come together nationally through collaboratives to look at how to standardize vascular access care from insertion through maintenance through the development of standardized protocols. Interesting. And certainly the analogy holds between the carrot and the stick, a penalty program is going to lean towards the stick. <laughs> but I'm curious then, April, which factors from your point of view most prominently influence an institution's hack score? So there's been some change in both the definition and, and calculation of hack scores over time. They focus on two domains. Domain one is a composite of what's called PSIs or, or patient safety indicators. The second domain, which is probably more relevant for this discussion, includes some specific measures, including things like CLABSIs, or these central line bloodstream associated infections, PAUDIs, which are catheter associated urinary tract infections surgical site infections, and a bundle of other measures. And what happened is that in the past, these measures were weighted. Uh, so that first domain, those patient safety indicators, were given a weight of about 15%. And then domain two, which included the very specific measures related to CLABSI and CAUTI, had a weight of about 85%. But more recently in this past fiscal year, so starting with fiscal year 20, there's been a, a change to that calculation. So what's starting in fiscal year 20 is that um, CMS is eliminating what's called this two-tier domain system. And instead, they're moving to more of an equal weight system. So each of these half measures will instead be equally weighted. So that's really interesting, given that change to the weighting recently. I imagine then that that has some downstream impacts in incentivizing or penalizing hospitals based on the scores and the respective weights. So there's a lot of concern around these penalty programs, because with a penalty program, you're not getting an added bonus, you're taking something away. 
And so for hospitals that are maybe already struggling financially to provide basic care, taking away that 1% not only prevents them from potentially improving their hospital-acquired condition rates and scores, but may prevent them even from doing some of the basic care provision that's part of their overall mission. It's also worth mentioning that hack scores, like many other publicly reported measures, don't really take into account a lot of other local and contextual factors that may be hard to measure or, or report on, but can impact the outcome and can impact the score. So these range from things like employment, social economic status, insurance coverage. These may actually impact the patient's risk of developing a hack. That's not really part of, of the definition or the calculation. And so although there have been changes to that measurement definition and strategy, as I mentioned, moving from kind of this weighting to, to doing it more equally, this still remains a concern for many organizations for how it's calculated, the amount of resources they're putting into printing out this data. It sounds like among the limitations, there is the risk that some therapeutic protocols could get narrowed to try to fit a score raising or maintaining standard, for instance. Or on the other side, that as you mentioned, certain contextual details about the patients might make it more difficult to prevent CLABSI or other hacks and maybe other elements of the patients being overlooked. Can you speak to some of those risks from your vantage point? So there can certainly be trade-offs between patient and family preference and what may be the best or safest for care. But I actually would probably remove that from the context of just thinking about hack scores. I mean, that honestly happens, these sort of discussions all the time in the care process and, and often aren't related to scores and pay for performance or, or these penalty systems. Most clinicians, I would venture, are not really going to be focused on scores when they're trying to make the best decision for their patient. They're really focused on the patient. Now, does that mean that there aren't the standardized you know, pathways and protocols that have been developed that now we expect clinicians to follow or nurses at the bedside to follow? And that may certainly dictate a little bit more of the care process. That is certainly there, but what I found is that in systems that do this correctly, they understand where there may be deviations from standardized protocols, and they have a process in place to document that. And they understand that these deviations may be an important part of the care process, and they don't do it in a way where either the patient or the provider is penalized in that way. I'm wondering, though, if we look at the broader administrative level, are the decisions made there potentially restricting access to certain types of approaches, devices, et cetera, when it comes to vascular access care that might have a ripple effect at the granular patient and clinician level? So that, that may be a challenge, absolutely. Outside of standardized protocols and pathways where I think that there is some understanding where there may be a deviation, and of course, like I said, if there is appropriate documentation, that's certainly understood. The place where it may be more restrictive on the care process is really around a supply chain. So where, you know, in the past, maybe the provider could have had a little bit more leeway in terms of specific products or tools that they wanted to use. What's often happening now is that there is a lot more administrative decision-making around what will or won't be used within a, a certain healthcare setting. And so from that standpoint, I think that there is definitely a lot more restriction that is going to be placed on that care team. So Ms. Taylor, you've given us a great understanding of some of these core components around hack scores. 
I'm wondering if you can then extend that and share some of the ways you've seen them change practice paradigms for better and or worse over time at the department levels. So I think for the better, we're sharing data. And I think that many folks will not argue at this point that data transparency, the idea of sharing data can help to drive improvement. Teams cannot improve if they don't know how they're doing. So both at a national level, data transparency has really helped with a little bit of healthy competition and having different healthcare organizations look at what are their opportunities for improvement. But a more of a local level within you know, hospitals, across departments, across units, again, it promotes this idea that there may be this healthy competition. But you know, with that being said, I think that some of the early lessons learned with hack scores and this type of data is around how it's presented to staff, how they're able to ingest and utilize that data. And a lot of times these, these national measures, these hack scores, because they're composites that, that pull a whole bunch of data together, that's not easily digestible at, at the front line. And so at more of that local level within departments, what I see is not a focus on this hack score, as we call it, but really a focus on those individual domains or, or measures that make up that score. So really looking specifically at what is our CLAPSI rate or what is our surgical site infection rate? That's a lot more understandable to the staff. How do you, in an interesting position, it's overseeing all these different departments and, and trying to reduce that risk, respond to those potential frictions between departments? So I think at a high level, again, it's trying to move this away from being a penalty or, or a negative thing. Um, you're really trying to move towards that idea of we're all in this together for the patient and family. And again, how can you make competition healthy versus harmful? And so I think, again, at the local level, typically, you know, what I see that works well is that we report out on what's going well in addition to what's not working. So oftentimes with these measures, again, we're looking at infection rates. Uh, we're looking at negative outcomes. Oftentimes, we also need to focus in on, you know, the positive outcomes. And there are lots of things to be celebrating within healthcare. So you might bundle these outcome metrics with process metrics. So what percent of the time are we following our, our bundles related to line maintenance and care? Uh, you know, what percent of the time are we following our protocols related to insertion? Those are all things to celebrate. And, and honestly, what you may see is that for some of those process metrics, we may be doing all of that right and still potentially have some challenges with these outcome measures. And so there's this element of, of what's within our control and really having the clinical teams have input into what are the, the bundle of measures we're gonna be look, we're gonna look at and to have some level of control in reporting that out so that way we can celebrate our wins while also taking a look at what are those areas we continually need to improve. I wanna also ask you then about whether that data transparency, the input that's coming in from the different departments and their clinicians respectively, have an upstream impact back on the supply chain issues that you mentioned can sometimes be a factor at the administrative level. Can you speak to that? Yeah, so I think that that can certainly be a win-win there. Although, you know, oftentimes things do start sort of top-down where we're looking to implement into, you know, protocols in terms of, again, equipment that's going to be used or other tools within the clinical care environment, that bubble up or sort of like micro system improvement certainly can trickle back up the other way and inform decision making. And that's really all about that empowerment piece and not really letting the, the hack score improvement be driven only at an administrative level, 
but really going to the care teams to say, well, what are the challenges here? What are the problems? And what we actually have identified that's gone back up to influence the supply chain is that, you know, maybe there is a, a challenge with current wipes that we're using, right? And that that's actually creating a challenge for staff in terms of maintaining cleanliness within that environment and that the staff have researched and they have a better idea for a certain supply that we should be using. Excellent, really great thoughts, Taylor. Well, we're almost out of time, unfortunately. I could speak to you for hours, but before we close, do you have any additional thoughts, comments that we should keep in mind when it comes to hack scores and their place in vascular access care now or down the horizon? So there's really two things that I'd wanna end with. One is coming back to this idea of the involvement of the patient family and family and care in the decision-making process and not letting this focus on data or hack scores really overtake that patient-provider-clinician interaction. And lastly, I think what I would leave you with is that there still is a lot of research that needs to be done to really understand what is the impact of some of these programs that are out there, so whether they're penalty programs or or pay for performance. The underlying uh, goal is really admirable to improve patient care and to improve safety. But research in terms of what's the best way to do that within each local context, because as I mentioned before, not every organization is going to have the same resources. And we certainly don't want to create a system where we penalize hospitals disproportionately who are really struggling to do the right thing for their patients and for their families. Oh, those great closing thoughts in mind. I very much want to thank Ms. April Taylor for joining me to help understand hack scores in vascular access care. Ms. Taylor, it was fantastic having you on the program today. And thank you for having me. This program was sponsored by Becton Dickinson, advancing the world of health. To access other episodes in this series, visit reachmd.com slash vascular viewpoints, where you can be part of the knowledge.